to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear dance educator Mary Wood interviewing ballet orchestra member Rufus Olivier. This episode was recorded on March 10th, 2017, before a performance of an all-balancing program featuring Stravinsky Violin Concerto, Prodigal Son, and Diamonds. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to everyone. I am Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet, and it's my pleasure to welcome you here to the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House to this evening's Meet the Artist interview. So this evening, we really felt that uh, it was the best tribute to a Balanchine program to focus on music. And so it is my real pleasure to be in conversation with Rufus Olivier, who is a member of our wonderful San Francisco Ballet Orchestra. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, and in the brief conversation we had just backstage, um, I think the most exciting thing that we, one of the most exciting things we're going to learn about Rufus is that he's been part of the ballet orchestra for 37 years. Um, but let's, let's sort of get you to that point. So, and these are called Meet the Artist. So you're our artist, we're meeting you. And uh, tell us about your life as a musician and ending up here. I come from Los Angeles and um, I've been, uh, when I first came here, I joined San Francisco Symphony. I was a tenured member of the symphony. And then I joined the opera as principal and the ballet as principal in 1980, and I've actually been playing in this building for 40 years. <laughs> so, um, before that I was playing with um, LA Philharmonic with Zubin Mehta and uh, um, various other orchestras in Los Angeles before I came to the Bay Area. So, so I've been principal here in the opera for at least 37 years. Bassoon. bassoon. I'm a bassoon player. <laughs> I was going to say, and tell us your instrument. I'm a bassoon player. Um, yeah. You well, you remember the days then with the San Francisco Symphony before Davies Hall was built, and you played in this building. I was in this, not only was I in this hall for 40 years, the symphony, the opera, and the ballet, I still have the same locker number. <laughs> <laughs> when we remodeled, when they remodeled the hall, I, I gave five bucks to the guard and says, you get locker number 17. And uh, I kept my number in my locker. That's kind of <laughs> like a jersey in one yeah, of the, and, yeah. And just to say, it's sort of rare. Uh, most musicians, I was second bassoon in the symphony. Whenever you want to move up or go somewhere else, uh, you usually have to go across the country, go to another orchestra, move, you have to move. And um, like, for instance, I've been sitting in that chair for 37 years. My colleague that I started with, Mr. Paulson, has been there as long as I've been there. We started together. And so um, we were roommates. And so those chairs don't open up. So when something happens in the same city twice, three times in the same hall, it's almost like a miracle, because I'm from a Californian. I'm a real Californian, born in California and family in California. So I'm super blessed to still be here forever. Well, 
<laughs> well, we're delighted that you're with us. Um, and, and it's going to be fun to talk more about bassoon parts um, later in the conversation. Um, but I want to know a little bit, many of these folks are aware that our orchestra did just celebrate a couple years ago its 40th anniversary right. as an entity. Right. And the fact that the, the, the ballet, San Francisco Ballet Institution has this resident orchestra is exceptional. So say a little bit about just the orchestra as an entity. It's very rare. It's maybe one of the few companies in, in America that has a real a live orchestra, um, living, breathing. And if you're like me, when I go anywhere, when I go anywhere, Disneyland, I like to see musicians sweating a little bit. <laughs> I want to see somebody working and not just a record being played. And so it's a blessing, I think, for you, as well as us, to have this orchestra here. Um, my orchestra, I think the last, uh, we, we got a couple of Grammys a, a year or two ago, and then last year, I think we were number one on Billboard's Classical um, for the uh, dances with Nijinsky and was nominated for a Grammy. So it's an outstanding, it's an incredible group. And um, you would think you have all these amazing musicians. You would think it would be, they, it would be you know, you know, sort of wacky. But uh, <laughs> I work. I actually believe I work in the nicest orchestra in the in the world. Uh, we get along extremely well. We like each other, and uh, we we like seeing each other and support each other. So um, it's a wonderful place to work and play. Well, it is a permanent institution, but we are aware that the ballet only um, part of this is because of the San Francisco situation. We're in the opera house, which the, com the ballet company has to share with the opera. And so the ballet season is um, compacted into, of course, Nutcracker, but then the, the January to mid-May time period because the opera has it Right. basically the rest of the year. <clears throat> so y'all are working really just a compacted time. So you're not, in a, in a sense, you're full-time employees of the ballet, but it's not really a full-time job. What do you all do well, when you're not here? It's about 25 of us do both. I do both. So I'm in the hall pretty much all year, maybe get a week off in between seasons. And uh, so I play principal in the opera also and um, for 37 years, but uh, um, so in the off season, a lot of the players who don't do the opera, they like this type of a job rather than a 52 week season, because uh, we have a lot of people who like to play chamber music. They love to play chamber music. They have quintets. I have a quintet, uh, a uh, I teach at Stanford. So we have a Stanford woodwind quintet I love to play with whenever we get the at the chance, a few concerts a year. And many of our players love to do music festivals in the summer, um, Grand Teton music festivals, Idaho music festivals. And um, when I'm there sitting in the mountains, playing in the mountains, I'm playing, you know, the ring. But, <laughs> so, but that's okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, a job connected to the ballet could be more fun than anything because you might be touring, but 
we have learned that the orchestra rarely tours in its entirety with the ballet because of pretty much the expenses. Yes, it's too expensive. Uh, for, for years when ABT or Joffrey Ballet would come to California, we would play for ABT, we would play for Joffrey. Um, one night during the ABT, maybe someone was here. Um, ABT was here and the principal dancer took ill and the audience goes, oh, and then they said, you know, in his place will be Mikhail Baryshnikov. <laughs> and the audience went, yeah. <laughs> but I live, I live for those moments. <laughs> I just say, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> so things well, like that happen. Unfortunately, we only have a half an hour. I bet you could tell us some pretty wonderful stories over those 37 years but I won't put you on the spot too much. Okay. Um, I do want you to say, as much as you can say, about the program that we will see tonight, which has these three extraordinary works. From the ballet point of view, they cross the Balanchine style. He, he choreographed over 450 works. And you know, this is only three of them, and they represent him at just such different places in his creativity. And he was a musician, he was a consummate musician, and for him, the motivation was more often than not the music. Yes. Prodigal Son being perhaps an exception because it's a story, he's telling a story. But um, this is just amazing music that we're gonna hear tonight. So uh, uh, where do you wanna start? Well, the amazing thing about all of these composers, two of them were St. Petersburg Conservatory and then Stravinsky was born uh, near St. Petersburg. And for me, all three of these composers are the best bassoon writers ever. <laughs> Tchaikovsky, um, I, tell my, I tell a lot of folks, the best bassoon writing is always done by the best composers. Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Mozart, Prokofiev, uh, some of the best bassoon writing. They understood the instrument. They stretched the instrument to the max on um, each end of the, the horn you're playing. And um, well, I always get excited when we're doing, and tonight I'm doing all three of the best bassoon composers on one night. So uh, if I'm still alive, it's gonna be great. <laughs> A lot of wind. I may say. Um, just let's break them down. Um, what are the wonderful things that about, let's start with Tchaikovsky. Start at the back and move forward in terms of time. Okay. I mean, we know we're going to be hearing Swan Lake in the next couple weeks. Um, we know the Nutcracker, sort of inside out and backwards. Um, we know Sleeping Beauty pretty well. We know Theme and Variations, which is another Balanchine work. So where did Balanchine pull this particular Tchaikovsky music? You know, I'm not sure where he got it, but when you hear it, you'll, you'll uh, see why he wanted to dance to it. You know, you have music. You, you all have heard music. You're sitting in your car, and you start tapping your foot, you start whittling your head a little bit. You want to dance sometimes to music. It could be classical music, Baroque. It doesn't matter what it is. but some pieces make you want to move. The Tchaikovsky is so beautiful. His, his lyric phrasing and, and his lyricism and counterpoint is so beautiful. 
you just feel like moving like a dancer. You can feel it. I'm sure you just felt that when you, when you heard that. Doesn't this symphony have the nickname? Um, Hard? No. no. I don't know. <laughs> the Pol uh, Polish, the Polish symphony. The Polish symphony. And, and also, I believe we aren't going to hear the whole thing. We started with the second, the second movement, yes. So we, you have to go home it's and rarely done. download the first movement. It's rarely done. Mm. Uh, yeah, very rare. Um, what you will notice, I mean, speaking of feeling like dancing, is there are some fairly um, Slavic sounding themes every now and then. And Balanchine has used that as his inspiration for some Slavic style, Russian style dance movements. Yes. So watch for those. Wow. Um, what else? I was going to ask you something else about it. It'll come to me. So moving forward, the Prokofiev. The Prokofiev, um, you know, each one of these composers, you, you can pretty much name, once you hear their music, you hear the style, and you definitely, definitely hear the style in the Prokofiev. Again, he um, stretches the whole orchestra. It's, um, his harmonies are not to be found anywhere else. It's his signature harmonies, and um, you'll recognize some of them. Um, from like the Romeo and Juliet and things like that. You'll hear Prokofiev's harmonies and whatnot. And orchestra loves to play Prokofiev. Every, every time we play Prokofiev, it goes, oh, wonderful. We got to play that. Yeah, and we will hear Prokofiev later this season in uh, Cinderella. Cinderella, that's right. We heard Prokofiev last year in Romeo and Juliet. I'm trying to think if there are other Prokofiev scores that the ballet has done lately. <laughs> Um, I would say um, this is this score predates both Romeo and Juliet and Cinderella. Mm -hmm. Wow! So maybe he was fooling around with some ideas mm. that he developed later. Mm. I also like to say Tchaikovsky, just to go back with oh, for a course. second. Tchaikovsky has probably employed more dancers and musicians than any composers in, for the Nutcracker. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, I just thought of another piece that we do to music of Tchaikovsky, and that is um, Onegin. Oh, yeah. yeah. And some of you may know the opera. Mm -hmm. um, the ballet uses not one note. Not one note. I've played Onegin in the opera, and when they told me, oh, we're doing Onegin at the ballet, I said, I've never seen this in my life. It's a completely different piece. <laughs> so the choreographer just took bits of Tchaikovsky from all over mm. and put them together. Put them together, yeah. And, um, well, we're drifting away, but um, the Pacific Northwest Ballet has done a version of Romeo and Juliet to bits from Tchaikovsky. Ah. So he's all over. You're a smart lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, the sound of the Tchaikovsky is going to be pretty different from the sound of the Prokofiev. Oh yeah, and the Stravinsky. And then we get to the Stravinsky. Oh boy. So, what do you say about the Stravinsky? Um, when I'm playing Stravinsky, I, if I was to relate him to anything, I would say um, like Picasso painting, basically. Um, it's almost like a cubist type of writing. If, hmm. In my mind, I just see Picasso all over the place. Well done. Uh -huh. and. Um, the way he puts the harmonies and things together, 
Um, it's hard to believe, for instance, his Firebird and Rite of Spring were done so, like 1910, mm -hmm. because it sounds almost like it should be in the future. It's, it's that far ahead of everything. It's a, he's amazing, and again, um, an incredible bassoon writer. He knew, he knew how to um, write for the instrument, you know. Well, he knew how to write for everything, but he understood. He wrote um, bassoon, uh, or woodwind chamber music, didn't he? he or some? He didn't, he, did, he, he wrote the, um, the Stravinsky octet. He's mm -hmm. an octet. And I, I had a friend many years ago, back in the 60s, he, he called Stravinsky's manager. He wanted to commission a, a woodwind quintet. That's uh, five pieces, uh, flute, oboe, bassoon, clarinet, and French horn. So he says, I, we, we need a Stravinsky quintet, because there is none. And he said, fine, that'll be $1,000 a bar. So there is no Stravinsky woodwind quintet. <laughs> so that's a little inside stuff there. <laughs> we'll have like a what a four bar piece of music, but uh, when we're talking 1960, you know. Uh, there, yeah. <clears throat> the um, Stravinsky that we're going to hear is actually a violin concerto. Yes, yes. But played um, by our incredible Cordula. Oh my goodness, she plays so good. I sometimes I almost forget to come in because I'm listening to her. Anyway, you're going to enjoy this um, young lady. Our new concert, our concert master is fabulous. Yeah. And she's been with the company two, three years now. I think it's been two years. Yeah, now. right. Um, the the history of the of the Stravinsky is that it, he wrote it for a particular virtuoso violinist um, whose name is in your program. I, I think it was, it was commissioned by the, by the violinist. Uh, I, I think you might name. be right, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then Balanchine choreographed it in the, um, I want to say 40s, mm -hmm. no 30s, 1933. Okay. And it was, it got three performances and it wasn't particularly successful and everybody was busy and moved on and did something else. And then when the very, very famous uh, Stravinsky Festival took place in 1972 at New York City Ballet, after Stravinsky, just after Stravinsky's death, right. um, Balanchine pulled out this piece of music that he'd always loved and just did an entirely different thing to it. And that's what you'll see tonight, which is it's amazing. Just a remarkable, yeah. remarkable piece. Um, just about time to ask the audience if they have questions for you. But, um, but before we do that, I was just going to say the, the structure sure. of the Stravinsky piece is interesting. With the, he positions the sort of ensembles and arias. Is there anything that you can say about that, just comparing it to a, a classical concerto or? Yeah, we have all of these these um, different moves. It's not like the Tchaikovsky where you have the A, B, C, or whatever movement. Uh, um, in a way, it's the same. I mean, we have our fast movement, slow movement, and then fast movement again. But it's it's very um, different than it's to me. It's just modern, even though it's you know mm -hmm. not modern. 
modern anymore. <laughs> anymore. Yeah. For those of you who came in late, I'm in conversation with um, principal bassoonist in the San Francisco Ballet Orchestra, uh, Rufus Olivier, and now we're going to let you ask him questions, and there's one just right there. Let me repeat the question. Um, when, in the, in the life of a season, when does the orchestra actually rehearse with the ballet dancers? And then it was a two-part question. Um, the other one was, how do you respond actually to different dancers, which is its own whole wonderful question. So she got a twofer. I think, um, I believe we play with the dancers maybe twice sometimes three times on a new production or something like that, maybe three times. But twice we'll um, uh, have a sort of a dress rehearsal before the dress rehearsal. And uh, we rehearse separately. Um, I don't know what's going on. My back is to the stage, so. Now, and we have different dancers every night. It might be a different dancer, they may dance differently. That's all on Martin, our Maestro West's shoulders. He, um, the ideal, the ideal is for the dancer to dance to the music, not for us to dance to play to the dancer. We're creating the music, and when we hit it right, they do their best. Um, we try not. You want them to be inspired. You want the music to sound so good that they can dance almost any tempo you play. So we try and play and let them dance. If we start following dancers, every, it's, things will start getting maybe slower, too fast, something. But we try and lay the music down and then put the dance on top of that, pretty much. And um, most of the time when we have to change something, it'll be at the end of a piece. So you have, you have the sixth sense. When you, when you see the end of a movement coming up, all eyeballs will go on Martin because you don't know what's going to happen, how long she's going to be in the air when she's going to hit the ground. So we're, we're just trained with these antennas go up and everybody waits and sees what's going to happen. And that's usually the most change. It's right at the end of a piece, how to stop it. And, you, know, <laughs> you know, don't toss her too high. We'll be there all day. But, uh, <laughs> Dennis stories. Yeah. Um, okay, another question here. What piece moves you the most? What's your favorite? My favorite bassoon piece. I I can't even answer that. I um, you know I, we I I think my colleagues we sort of live in the moment. I live in the moment. Uh, um, like tonight. I mean I I can't tell you which one I like the most. Um, I, I like the piece I'm playing at the moment, pretty much. That's true, I really feel that. I can tell you what I hate. No. <laughs> That's easier. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. Um, here, yeah. Um, from a musical technique point of view, mm -hmm. who is the most difficult composer to play with? Who's the most difficult composer to play technically? Um, 
Well, last week it was Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> this week it's Stravinsky. Um, every composer, for instance, the Frankenstein was, was, um, was a technical nightmare. It was a monster. I had never, I mean, there were more black notes on the page, you could barely see the page. We were playing so fast and scrambling around for notes. You didn't write in the key. They were all accidental, so your, your brain is up, your head is about to explode by the end of that. Um, that was difficult. Then there's the difficulty of, say, the opening of Rite of Spring. It's one note. It's one note. But no one else is playing, and it's at the top of your instrument, and you know, you're, you're hanging in the wind. <laughs> and that's hard. <laughs> so who knows, you know, what's. What's hard? It's um, you know. Um, I'll put it this way: if if it's not hard, then you're doing something wrong. That's a good one. Um, okay, we've got a few more here. Yeah. I just wondered how you ended up playing the bassoon. If you wants to know why, how I ended up playing the bassoon, I said, well, they ran out of oboes <laughs> in junior high. <laughs> I said, here, take this. <laughs> says, what the heck is that thing? <laughs> I says, Okay, whatever. <laughs> a very good answer. Um, back over here, yeah. So in the last you Oh, yeah. Um, You've seen my bassoon section over the last 10 years, and it changes up, changes up. And um, I've had, I've actually played a number of years with my son. He was my second bassoon player, and he was my second bassoon player in the opera for about four years. He's moved on, and, and Sean Jones, he was, uh, he came out of Colorado. He played with Colorado Symphony, and uh, he wasn't a student, but uh, we hired him. And uh, my current, second bassoon player, my tenured second bassoon player, Patrick Johnson Whitty. Um, um, we're, <laughs> we're like the Long Ranger in Tano, basically. Uh, we're, we're like glue, uh, I love him. And he's a master, master, master bassoonist. And uh, I admire him and I'm so lucky to have him, yeah. Um, yes. Oh yeah, this is my family, this is my house. <laughs> you kidding, welcome to my house. <laughs> the uh, gentleman was just saying that dancers come and go and it's musicians one, like Ruth have been here forever. It's the one current in the opera, it's the chorus and the orchestra is always, the, always the, um, the, the one thing that stays, you know. Yeah, it's great. I think we have time for just one more. This has been great, all right, yeah. She's talking about the, the conductors that have led the San Francisco Ballet Orchestra and how you um, have been with, with them, dealt with them, adapted to them. Well, yeah, every, every conductor um, will have a, uh, 
Here, it's, it's, it's a pretty stable conductor situation where we have a Martin. Um, but we're pretty much trained to, to deal with whoever on the podium. And we've been pretty blessed to have uh, Dennis and Martin. And, and um, it's, a good, it's a good situation because we, even though he's our, our maestro, he's still like part of our, the family and we work really well together. We understand each other. Um, I call it breaking the conductor code. And once you figure out the code, we got it. You know, it's a code that it, everybody is different. So you sort of break that conductor code and you go, oh, I got you. You know, and, and a lot of the conductors, it's about trust. A conductor will just point to you. He's not giving you direction. He'll just point, say, do your thing. They're trusting you to do your thing, literally. Say, go for it. And um, that's the best. I wish we had more time. We've run out. So before we actually say our goodbyes, I want to um, thank Rufus Olivier, who is the principal bassoonist with our orchestra. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts, educational programming, or other information, please check out sfballet.org.